eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Brame, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And it's Wednesday, which now means it is mailbag day. And before we dive into your questions for the week, want to remind you guys, right now we are running a promotion for a VIP membership, 60% off an annual VIP membership. 60% off. That's a huge savings. Highly encourage you guys to check that out. You can get expert analysis, read all the content across the entire 24-7 Sports Network, all of that by subscribing today. Okay, uh, we got questions on a wide range of things, Eric. Let's jump right into these and, and hammer these out. Yeah, first we're going we're to start with, well, we should know we recorded a podcast and quite a bit has happened. And of course, Matt was um, <laughs> Matt was off on, on Monday, which was, of course, the day where Keith Hayward announces he's no longer going to be with Oregon. And then Oregon picks up a commitment from Brian Cardwell. We also had Anthony Brown Sunday evening um, announcing he would be returning. So we're going to recover a lot of these different topics um, on this podcast via questions. First from at CZ, I don't know, CZN4. Will Mario Cristobal replace Keith Hayward with another defensive backs coach? If so, who are some possible candidates? If not, what are the possible restructures in the staff and how else might they fill that open spot? Hashtag ops and audibles. I think this is an important place to start here because I think the news of the last little bit here, and since we've recorded a mailbag, is Oregon has, it seems like, I mean, nothing has been announced officially, a new defensive coordinator in Tim Druder, and Keith Hayward has quickly... It's kind of a bit almost like a coaching trade here as Deruder has coaching at Cal um, has now come to Oregon and Keith Hayward, who is Oregon's co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach has now gone and replaced Deruder on Justin Wilcox's staff, Wilcox's staff at Cal. Um, so Oregon now does have an open assistant coaching position because obviously Andy Avalos has gone and Keith Hayward has gone do some simple math. That's two departures, one guy coming in Um it's an interesting question here, and honestly, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, DeRuder has experience as a linebacker's coach, but he also has experience as a defensive backs coach. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility, and we should note at Cal, he was coaching linebackers. So most recently, he's been coaching linebackers. He played linebacker in college um, decades ago, <laughs> not a younger guy. But like, I do kind of think his coaching versatility here provides a situation where I would think Oregon in theory could get kind of selective in terms of, okay, do we, if there's maybe a better defensive backs coach available, well, then we'll just have DeRuder stay at linebacker. But if we think there's a better linebackers coach available, 
we can have Deruder coach the team's safeties or coach something in the defensive backfield. Maybe he's more comfortable with, I don't know. I don't want to get into what they would do with moving Rod Chance around at all. But I, I think it's kind of interesting to think about that because of Deruder's versatility and experience, maybe there will be an opportunity to see Oregon target somebody um, based upon best possible coach rather than best possible fit. Matt, do you, do you kind of agree with that or kind of have you heard anything specifically about what they might be looking for? Um, to yeah, DeRuder gives them options now. Right. You, you said it perfectly. That he can coach linebackers. He can coach DBs. Um, you still have Rod Chance coaching cornerbacks, and I believe DeRuder's experience in the DB group is with safeties. So you could have DeRuder go safeties, D coordinator, and then go out and try and find an outside linebackers coach. Uh, or you could also go – with hiring a DB coach to replace Hayward. And, and internally you have um, a couple I think you have one person that you look at Kwame uh, Ageman, the former Oregon duck player. Uh, he's been with the ducks for, I want to say four or five years now uh, working as a defensive assistant started with John Neal. Um, and most recently with Hayward and Dante Williams and Rod chance Um when Chance replaced Williams. So he's been with the system. He worked under Levitt. He's worked under Avalos. Um, he's a really good dude. Do you, do you throw it his way? Um, I also think you maybe go and look into uh, the NFL here a little bit and Gerald Alexander. He's uh, a former Cal coach. He works currently with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he's, I believe, close with DeRuder. Um, maybe you could go and, and hire DeRuder as the outside linebackers coach and throw Gerald Alexander as the safeties coach, throw him some more money. Maybe you make him like a code DC type of a deal. He's a rising star in the coaching ranks. Um, I, I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, Derek Ansley was a name that was attached to Oregon previously from uh, other reports for the DC gig. He's out at Tennessee as you know, one of their assistant coaches, um, maybe it's a, a, a co-DC type deal there. I, I, DeRuder has experience working as co-DC, and, and if you let him know, hey, this is your show, we just want to add an extra title to somebody else, uh, that way we can you know bring them in, maybe a Tosh Lopai, uh, maybe a Glenn Schumann from Georgia, a guy that, you know, those are two candidates that they were looking at to be the DC before settling on, on DeRuder, but maybe you could get both. They are saving some money. Uh, you know, they've increased their salary pool. I've been told when Mario Cristobal signed his contract extension, they've, you know, Avalos's deal probably will save them a little bit because um, they'll have to pay DeRuder as much. I expect they're probably going to have some extra cash with Keith Hayward because he was one of Oregon's highest paid assistant coaches. So there's going to be some money out there. Maybe you could, you know, Best case scenario, hire, hire two of these defensive quarter candidates that you were looking at before settling on DeRuder. No, I think there's there's certainly some options here, and it'll be very interesting to see how they proceed here. And we, we've now spoken a little bit about DeRuder's hire in the past, but I think one of the things we lost, in part because we didn't necessarily expect to see a position coach leave, we thought it was possible. And I think if you could listen back to the podcast right after – Andy Avalos left, one of the things we suggested was look out for what Keith Hayward might do here. If they overlook him for this job again, if they hire somebody else again, he's probably going to be open to going somewhere else. And he has. 
Um, and now Oregon has to find a top tier assistant coach. And you're right. Maybe it's going to be a deal where they bring in candidate B that they were, you know, the next guy they were looking at and they can bring in somebody to, I mean, Drew is an older guy and they can hand, hand this off to somebody in the next couple of years or whatnot. I, I just think that you've got a lot of interesting possibilities here with how this plays out. Obviously you hate to see Keith Hayward leave. He was on the staff before Mario Cristobal was the head coach. He's one of the more senior assistant coaches here, really helped from a recruiting perspective, developed some great defensive backs, but um, it'll be very interesting to see what they move on to next. All right. Next one from at MVH underscore genetics. How does recently signed Brian or Byron Cardwell fit into an already loaded backfield? Do you see him having a specific role or do you see Mario still starting to play players with start, still, still playing more experienced players over the younger guys? Um, I would not expect Byron Cardwell. And we talked about this on our Sunday podcast, even before Cardwell was like officially announced. Um, just like, it doesn't feel like you can just say you think a true freshman is going to come in and start over a bunch of guys who've been starting running backs for a long time. So like, I mean, I, I would say to me, it's more likely Cardwell redshirts or has no role in 2021 than it does. He starts. Right. I mean, like I would be pretty stunned if we look up and there's a Byron Cardwell is like one of the primary running backs early on in the season. That doesn't mean he can't develop into that, but we've seen already how long it's taken for Sean dollars <laughs> a player who's yeah. just as talented to get into the, you know, to figure himself, you know, find a role for himself. So I lean more towards like, I would expect Cardwell to be a really high upside player and somebody who might challenge to start once you see CJ Verdell and Travis Dye leave the program. But like best case, I think for Byron Cardwell and probably for Sean dollars is there, they replace Cyrus Hibibilikio as that third running back. And that's the most immediate playing time they get. Cause I just really don't see a situation where Verdell or die are not a big part of your offense unless one or both of them are injured. And of course with Verdell's health history, um, that's certainly possible, but like, I don't think I look at this and think, okay, you bring in Byron Cardwell, he steps in and in 2021, he's your starting running back day one. I don't need to really dive more into that than you just said, but I'll say this. I, I'll I'll be least uh, I'll be a better opportunity for playing time for a freshman I think in 2021 that's not named Sean Dollars is Trey Benson than Brian Caldwell. I, I I would be more surprised if Cardwell jumps Benson in 2021 than any kind of mop up duty role uh, limited you know reps that are given to the fourth running back uh, if then then Cardwell. Uh, you know, jumping up, you know, to, to three or four, you know, spots on the depth chart. Um, I, I just think Verdell and I will get a bulk of the carries. Dollars will will be that third guy, like you said, and then you know it'll be up to Benson and, and Cogwell to, to to duke it out for that fourth spot. If you know that that you know usually ends up with 35, 40 carries on the year. Yeah, I just think it's it's hard to expect a huge role for a true freshman. We've talked about that even with some of these other true freshmen that are quarterbacks and wide receivers. Before starting him halfway through his freshman season, this year's abbreviated COVID-19 debacle, and now a DC change the year before he presumably declares for the NFL, are we going to miss out on seeing an entire season of KT's full potential? I forgot to ask, uh, read the question. It was from at Go Ducks or um, 
I think an interesting part of this here now is you look at Kayvon Thibodeau, and I don't know if I would say we're not going to see his full potential, but this is going to be his last season in 2021. I think we can say that with extreme confidence. confidence. <laughs> uh, if he comes back, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even going to bring that possibility because I don't even think that's a possible. That's not even going to happen, but like, yeah, his freshman season, he didn't play every game or start every game. And that was because of Gus Cumberlander. He got hurt. This last season was a shortened season. Now, you could also argue like he could be maximized in a new way. I mean, let's not let's not just assume that because Oregon has a new defensive coordinator, this is going to be a throwaway season for Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, like that that presumes that like Tim Druder does not know how to use defensive linemen or outside linebackers. And as we chronicled and talked about on um, last week's show, I mean, this is this is a guy who who coached Von Miller at Texas A and M. That guy turned out pretty good. He knows what to do with these sort of big time talents. He had some guys at Cal, obviously not the same caliber of Von Miller, but like guys that have gone on to be really good college players have pro careers. So I don't think you can say like, we're going to, I mean, this isn't going to be a thing where you just, it was a, th- it was a throwaway three seasons for Thibodeau. I would be stunned if he's not super productive in 2021. Um, it will be. I mean, I think one of the big question marks for when we do get to speak with with Tim DeRuiter's is how are they going to utilize Kayvon Thibodeau? He's clearly your most talented player on the entire team, but especially on defense, obviously. And we've seen him now in Andy Avalos' defense play with his hand down on as a defensive end, but also play standing up a little bit as an outside linebacker. What will happen? How will they utilize Kayvon in what will be his last season? So, like, I guess I'd answer the question saying I don't think it's going to be a wasted career or where we're going to miss out on a season where we don't see KT's full potential. I actually think you could see him utilized in different ways than maybe you would see under Andy Avalos. That doesn't have to be a bad thing, but I'm more just curious to see what Tim Druder sees in Kayvon Thibodeau. And, like, honestly, like, what does the NFL see in Kayvon Thibodeau? Do they see him as being a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end, or, or is he big picture, like, better as some sort of outside linebacker hybrid role? And in that case – could he actually benefit from playing a little bit more of that position in 2021 under a new defensive coordinator? Yeah, it certainly sucks. This is one of those COVID sucks type deals where it, it took away a full season of his sophomore year and now going into his junior year, you know, where does he fit within the defense? I mean, that's like not a negative question. It's because he's so talented. Um, And you're right. Like, does he play more outside linebacker at the NFL level? Is he more of a defensive end? And I think that's going to make him what's so popular among NFL scouts and, you know, mock drafts and all of that, because he can play both and he can play both at such a high level. And he's such a unique talent. I mean, this is a guy that's going to be a top five pick top 10 draft pick in the 2022 NFL draft could, could be Oregon's third straight year with a top 10 draft pick. Uh, in the NFL draft, Herbert being the first one, and then probably Penny Sewell. I would be shocked if he fell out of the top 10 and then you know, Kayvon Thibodeau. But, yeah, it, it's interesting to see how DeRuiter is going to implement the linebacking core, what the scheme changes, and how that gets him uh, on the field and, and where they put him. Um, but I, I think his junior year, it's going to go back to what Von Miller did at Texas A&M before he went off to the NFL. You know, it, it – that's if I'm if I'm Kayvon Thibodeau, that's exactly what I'm kind of molding myself after is can I be the next Vaughn Miller uh, going in there? 
All right, next one. And, and, and Colby got a little bit creative here because you got a, this is three questions here from Colby Trujillo, hashtag, or sorry, at Take It Cheesy. One, Anthony Brown is back. I still don't feel like he's going to start a game for the Ducks. Am I crazy? Two, CJ Verdell is back due to his record of getting injured. Um, which back is most likely to sneak into the rotation? Sean Dollars, of course, but what about sleepers? We've already touched on that one. And then three, how big of an impact is losing Coach Hayward going to affect Oregon on and off the field? Let's. I just wanted to at least jump in on the first part here in particular because we kind of addressed the other two a little bit, and I think we can talk maybe more about what losing Hayward um, does because we focus more of the attention on how, how Oregon might replace him. But as far as Anthony Brown coming back, I kind of side with what Colby was saying here in terms of like, I don't look at this and, and feel like the job is very clear for anybody at quarterback, but – I certainly don't think Anthony Brown comes back and it's just like, boom, he's a starting quarterback day one. Like, I don't think that's, there's no given here. Um, Clearly my, I mean, I think you have to expect and and believe that the conversations Anthony Brown had with Oregon's assistant coaching staff with, with, with Mario Cristobal were to the extent of like, Hey, the job is available. Like it's not set in stone. He's not returning knowing he's a backup in 2021 because he's already kind of seen that show one time. I think he's coming back with the expectation that the job remains open um, that he has an opportunity to win it and, and obviously feels pretty decent about his odds of doing so. Um, but for me, I'm still, and I know Matt is also still in this place. We've talked about it in the camp of like, it's Tyler Shuck is probably going to be because he is the incumbent hard to like completely displace right away. Um, and my expectation would be like more, more, more likely it's going to be Tyler Shuck starting the season and I think if he gets replaced, it's probably almost just as likely that it's going to be by one of the younger guys, a Ty Thompson or a Jay Butterfield. And that's not to say Anthony Brown can't do that, but like, I'd probably say like in terms of quarterbacks, I think the most, the highest odds are that they finish the season as Oregon starting quarterback. I'd say Shuck number one, I'd say Ty Thompson number two, and I'd probably have Anthony Brown number three in that order with Jay Butterfield fourth. Um, Matt, do you agree with that? I mean, like, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I don't want to disparage Anthony Brown, but I also feel like there's become kind of a rewriting of, of the way the season concluded where it's like Anthony Brown was just this incredible. Again, I don't want to say he was bad, but like I didn't see enough in the two games that he was playing to be like, this guy is Justin Herbert or this guy is, you know, like even a, an all conference caliber guy. Like I, I think he's serviceable and he gave Oregon something interesting in two games where the opposing defense really didn't know what to expect with him. But you also saw, I thought in the second half against Iowa state in the Fiesta bowl, a defense go, Oh, okay. So he's kind of this side of a player and then adapt. And he was pretty much ineffective. So like, I think there's become this narrative from the fan base of like Anthony Brown is kind of like the savior in the next. And like, you know, he's going to pass the torch to Ty Thompson. And like, I feel like there hasn't been enough evidence from my perspective, at least to suggest that's the case. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I I have a hard time saying anybody is right overwhelming favorite to win the job. But if I was gonna pick somebody to be the favorite, it's Tyler Shuck. And I don't think I don't think there's anyone else out there that you can that you can say like, hey, if you had to pick somebody to be you know the, the favorite to win the job in 2021 at quarterback for Oregon. I don't think there's another guy like, like you either said a field or Tyler Shuck. There's no 
Tyler Shuck or Anthony Brown or Ty Thompson versus or field option. Like it's either in my eyes, it's either Shuck wins the job or you bet the field that somebody else outside of Tyler Shuck wins the job. And I'm, I'm with you. I don't think Anthony Brown showed me enough where I say definitively he's the odds on favorite to win the gig. Yeah. And who knows, maybe the spring is going to be right. And that's, I mean, that's just right now. Maybe spring changes things. Yeah, totally. I mean, we, this is going to be the most anticipated spring from a quarterback competition perspective that I've ever covered. And I don't know, Matt probably agrees too. I mean, no, there have been times, we've said this before, but there have been times where, you know, it's been, okay, well, Marcus Mariota or Brian Bennett or, um, you know, more recently, uh, like, well, I don't even know how. Justin Herbert, there really wasn't that much intrigue when he was kind of, like, Willie Taggart made it sound like there was more intrigue than there really was, I think. But, like, I think, like, we legitimately go into spring and we're like, I, I really don't have, like, I think, I, I agree with Matt. Like, I think if you, it's Taylor Shuck is certainly the guy who's got the best odds of, of being the starter coming out of spring but like, i don't i just don't go into spring being like oh it's you know if there's anyone who's really got a strong handle on this and that's pretty unique especially in a season where you don't lose your starting quarterback so it, it almost if i i'm just trying to rack my brain here like dakota prukop was was brought on to be the starter um before justin herbert and then herbert assumed the, the gig midway through the year as a freshman Vernon Adams the year before that, like that was Vernon Adams' job. And then, you know, Marcus beat out Brian Bennett for the gig. Um, that was kind of a surprise, but not really. Um, but it was like definitively just those two guys. Um, and Marcus, if you talk to people, was the, the leader in the clubhouse throughout. Um, before that, Darren Thomas – beat out Nate Costa. Um, and then you also had Nate Costa was going to be the quarterback, but then he got hurt in training camp and then it ended up falling on Jeremiah Mazzoli and he won the gig during the year. Um, and that was a, that was a, a, a battle where it was kind of like your top dog got hurt and it wasn't, you know, that that's just unfortunate. Um, I think Roper opened the year as a starting quarterback and then Mazzoli ended up ultimately taking over. Um, before that, I'm trying to that, that is where it gets really just funky. Um, I think Dennis Dixon was the overwhelming favorite to win the gig and then replacing that, it was Kellen Clemens. And that's where it really feels like it could go either way was replacing Joey, Jason Fife, who was a junior or Kellen Clemens, who was, I believe a sophomore at the time. And who do you pick uh, to win the gig? And it was back and forth. Bilotti went with Fife and then they ultimately ended up, you know, splitting the job throughout the year. Yeah. That right there might be about as close as you get. It's interesting. It's going to be really interesting. And so um, uh, really quick, let's just address like the what Oregon loses with Coach Hayward part, I think, because um, we talked a little bit about who he what kind of coach they might replace him with. But I think it does at least deserve to be acknowledged that he was an instrumental part of 
this team and this coaching staff. You saw I still look on Twitter all the players and their responses to it. I, I was just going to say the outpouring of appreciation from players from Nick Pickett to Thomas Graham to Javon Holland to guys still on the roster, Kayvon Thibodeau pointing to just kind of how much of a father figure he was. You lose that part of it. Um, you lose a coach with tremendous um, recruiting ties to Southern California. I think I saw one of uh, the St. John Bosco assistant coaches tweet that he was Keith Hayward is one of his best friends. You know, I mean, th- th- those kind of things are, are lost. And it doesn't, I, I think from a recruiting perspective, I'm not, I won't say I'm not worried. These are things that Oregon can't overcome. Yeah, totally. They lost Dante Williams who had a probably a better connection in that area. And then they went out and just, they cleaned house pretty well this last cycle down there. I mean, they got a lot of the guys they wanted. So I, I don't think it's going to like, they're not that handcuffed. And part of what will be interesting to see is whoever this next hire is. And like we talked about, like what kind of ties does, does that person have to that area? But like, I think primarily you're losing a coach who was at least had his, he was involved with a lot of really good defensive backs. Oregon's had some really good defensive backs come out over the last handful of years. And he was involved in a lot of that. I mean, he coached Ugo Amadi for his last couple of seasons. He obviously was involved with the Thomas Graham and Diamade Lenore with Javon Holland, with Brady Breeze, with Nick Pickett, with the development of Mikhail Wright. Um, so, I mean, like this is somebody who's, who's, who's definitely, you know, you look at the defensive back group and that's been one of the strongest position groups on the team for the last three or four seasons. And, and he was involved in that. So certainly this is, this is not a small loss. Um, this is a coach who at least was was developing talent and recruiting at a high level. With that said, like I, I think they can go out and and find somebody who's comparable. I mean, I don't think – I mean, I think that's the thing that's been impressive with Mario Cristobal and why I, I do have some confidence here. It's not just that I don't want to diminish what Keith Hayward is, but I also think it's important to just say, like, we've seen time and time again the trend be Mario Cristobal has to go find a replacement for Coach X and Coach Y or Z comes in and is – if not better, at least comparable. And so like, I have a lot of confidence they're going to find the right guy. But I do think it has to be noted at least that, hey, we were somebody who connected really, really well with players all across the roster um, and, and did recruit the L.A. area really well, or at least had connections down there to do so. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I, I, it's, it, it's a, it, it hurts Oregon, no doubt. But it's also not one that they can't overcome. All right. Fifth one from at U of O fighting with the 2021 recruiting class coming to an end. What is the over under on landing a top five class in 2022 hashtag and audibles. Um, I don't know how to do an over under on this. Cause I don't know if that's I'm, I'm I'll, I'll start here. Either I'm not smart enough to do this in terms of like creating the odds for this, or I, I don't think that's how odds work in terms of an over under on a top five class. I would just say like, Matt, like, do, do, we, do we think it's likely they can get there? Um, and I, I don't want to set any, like, betting lines because, again, I don't know if I know how to do that. But, like, I, I would suggest, like, 2021, we should say, after Cardwell has committed with a couple of other prospects still on the board is right there at number six nationally, right behind LSU, within at least a kicking chance or, you know, of a striking distance, I should say, to, like, maybe – maybe get to five in 2021. I think it would take everything falling in the right way. It would take maybe LSU losing a commitment. It would take Oregon landing all their top targets. But, like, they're not that far off. 
2022 is still a ways out, right? I mean, we can't dismiss that. But Matt, like, do you think there's a chance that they they go to, they go top five in 2022, or kind of what's your stance on that? Yeah, I think there's certainly a chance. Um, seeing it in 2021 is probably not going to happen. Um, just like you said, like they're gonna they're going to need a lot of help to get there. And I just don't think there's enough there to, to, to get them over the, the hump to get into that top five for 2021. Um, they would need like best case scenario plus some help. 2022, sorry, 2022, it, it's there. There's enough prospects out West. I mean, they could theoretically line up their entire offensive line class by hitting just the state of Washington and the state of Utah and landing the top prospects that they're going after in those two states alone for the offensive line. Uh, there's a four-star receiver that's high on Oregon from Portland. There's another elite four-star receiver from Vancouver area. You know, they don't have to go very far to, to, to sign and get some of these really big name players. Now, are there going to be, you know, there's only a couple five stars out West and, USC's recruiting at a better clip now. Um, is it going to be as easy to get those guys to come your way? No, it's not. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be difficult. But I, if if you had to tell me, twenty twenty two being top five, or Oregon winning eleven games in the regular season in twenty twenty one, I would pick top five in twenty twenty two's recruiting class over Oregon winning eleven games next season in football. That's how I feel about that. Let's wrap it up here with a question from at Robbie Parnes. Do announcements during announcements, what do you think of recruits doing the fake out with gear from other finalists before revealing which school they actually pick? I think a kid deserves to announce however they want, but it also feels kind of disrespectful. Hashtag odds notables. And I think this is in part referencing um, Byron Cardwell's announcement from Monday where he removes two shirts. I think Texas A&M and, maybe UCLA, and I can't remember who the second was, um, to reveal an Oregon shirt and then throws the O up, commits to Oregon, and now he'll be part of the 2021 class. And as we said earlier, I think a really highly regarded kid. I love his vision. I think he's got upside to be talented. Um, don't know if it's going to be immediate that he makes a contribution, but certainly a, a player to be excited about. Um, I don't really have much of an issue with any of it. Like, and, and you know, I'll, I'll also say that in part because to take people behind the curtain a bit here – Typically, I'm not waiting as somebody who doesn't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Matt, between Matt and Kevin and the national experts, like I usually know when a kid's picking Oregon or not. And so if I'm watching the video live, I'm like, it's going to be Oregon. And so maybe there's a second of like, oh, wow, crap. Did we get the wrong intel? Like, how did this go wrong? But I'm also usually pretty patient of like, no, this is ultimately going to be the kid revealing he's going to Oregon. And so I also, so the flip side of that is I also am typically not watching an announcement where I already know the kid is going to another school. Cause I just kind um, of, I already know. Like I look at this and think, by the way, that was a nice little flex there. Um, you like that? <laughs> um, I will say this. Every kid has his own, has his right to make any kind of decision and make any kind of announcement that he wants. He can go over the top. He can, he can do ludicrous things that we view as ludicrous that he thinks is cool. It's his moment. Um, he has that right now doing the hat switcheroo or, or, you know, 
using props of other schools and making, you know, fake outs and whatnot is sometimes in, in today's day and age of college athletics, players transfer and you've developed relationships and sometimes you may hurt that relationship. If, if that doesn't work out at the school that you choose and you want to call that position coach at school B uh, who you was second, second choice. And, and you did the, you know, fake out, you might call him in two years when he all of a sudden is the OC at, at a different school. And he'll say, you know what? Like, I'm not, I'm not all about the, you know, the way you, you recruited, you know, how you handled your commitment. Um, we found another guy and we're going to just go with him because we like his character more. Um, so there's always, you know, for every decision you make, there is a reaction and, and consequence positive or a negative. Um, so I, I, I'm all for kids doing it and, you know, just understand that it may come back and hurt you down the road too. Yeah. Ultimately I'm not too bothered by it, but I think sometimes it does sort of speak to, I don't want to say character, but it sort of is, it's kind of, it, it, it lends itself to maybe the wrong taste in the mouth, especially if you're an opposing school. Right. Right. It's going to do it for us here on the Ots and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your mailbag questions. And until next week when we do another one, thank you for listening to the Ots and Audibles mailbag podcast. We'll talk to you later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.